Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hi, Creeps and Crimers. This is Taylor. It is currently 3.20 p.m. on May 25th, um, the day before this episode goes out. And I'm just running through and doing a last uh, bit of editing before I schedule this to be posted. And um, I did want to note before you listen that this episode was recorded a week prior, which means that we recorded this before the Texas elementary school mass shooting that took place. We spoke to it a bit on our social medias, but you will likely hear more about it and, you know, what we think needs to happen and our thoughts on it in general on uh, episode 88 next week. But... We just wanted to let you guys know that and also we wanted to take a moment of silence in honor of the victims and their families before we get started with this episode. So please join us and say a prayer, send some love, light, um, or whatever you do to their families and the victims and just hoping that something will change. But that's all. Thank you guys so much for coming and listening Please join us on this moment of silence and we will get started with the episode. Hey, just before we get started, this is a conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime podcast. The nature of this podcast is gory, unsettling, and definitely vulgar. And we curse a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. So be advised. That we're just two idiots with a mic. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. <laughs> Taylor. And I'm Morgan. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. We are going to kickstart this episode off with a little preview of what a shots fired episode looks like, <laughs> aka we're really just um, taking moonshine cherries right yes. now. Yes. So after uh, after this, it's, I mean, what is today? Is today a Sunday? Today is Sunday. Today yeah. is Sunday. I wouldn't have guessed it because the both of us have been working our dicks off all day. Um, sorry that I just cursed so early in the beginning of the episode. We're, we've really been working, our, sweating our dicks <laughs> off all we've day. We've really just been, Our you know. dicks have just been worked. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we would kick this off with taste testing. Old Smoky Moonshine. Old so- Smoky Moonshine's cherries. Mary cherries. We, Ma- we argued over the name of what these are actually called. They're not Macintosh. Clearly, that's an apple. <laughs> but um, So we've been calling them Mary, Mary cherries. cherries. Sunday cherries. And now I can't remember because I just. Sonic milkshake cherries yeah sunday cherries what what, what did i say maranchino is that how you say them you know what mary cherries supporting some east tennessee moonshine it smells like nail polish remover it literally smells like nail polish remover we went ahead and take the took the uh lid off because holy god it was a struggle already she goes you know what let's just go ahead and get this lid off so we don't have to struggle and she sits there she's like i'm not she hands it to me she goes yeah, <laughs> you just nod it was hilarious it's funny when we laugh hard it, it really is that's that's like the best comedy you're gonna get out of us is us just laughing at snorting. each other oh my god the, y'all love the, the snorting the video fortunes coming out to play okay okay let's try them ready you grab the biggest one okay well i mean I'm i want if i'm doing it i'm going all in one okay cheers me oh over the napkin okay cheers to the mary cheers Christ. holy crush <laughs> 
I can't swallow. Okay. It's oh not. my god, I need a chaser right now. Okay, it's not bad. It's not bad because it tastes like a cherry. It's, it's just like straight alcohol. It's it's nail there's polish no, remover. There's no cherry flavor. It's not even really. nail polish remover. It's acetone. Would I put it on a Sunday? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely, I would. Uh, if it was like a rum, a rum ice cream. But have you guys ever had the pickles? Oh my god, the old Smoky Moonshine pickles. I kind of like. I feel like this could be dangerous because I just now I just want to snack. Me on too. Them. I just want to pop them in my mouth. And what is the percentage per? What they're, was it? They're a um, hundred proof. A hundred. Well, yeah, because it's moonshine. But what was it per serving? I can't remember. Oh, I don't remember either. Fifty uh, percent alcohol, one hundred proof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was I can't remember. I I like watched a video on these of of this girl. Forcing, forcing her husband to eat the entire thing i think he probably had to go get his stomach pumped oh my god because could you imagine no well yeah <laughs> logan just texted me from the other room and said let me get a cherry let me get a cherry come Bru- in here come in here logan how is it tell him well, it was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> really you hate it do you want another though? Once you finish no. it, here, take a drink of Gatorade. Yeah, here, take a drink of Gatorade. It's like now that I, it's out of my mouth. I'm like, oh, I could eat another. Yeah, you could definitely like. Now I'm sitting here. I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't mind to eat another. I don't mind drinking nail polish remover. I, I like nail polish remover. I, actually, I actually will open the bottle and chuck it. Yeah. And Logan's out. And Logan's gone. And he'll be back for another in ten minutes. Yep, a little cameo. A little cameo. That was funny. Uh, but yeah, so I think we're just gonna hop right into the episode now. Yeah. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. All right, guys. So you've seen from the title of today's episode that we are going to be covering Tupac. Ooh. (laughs) I know you guys are screaming, uh, we're screaming, and this is, I've already said it once, but this is my favorite case I have ever researched. I think it's going to be the best one I've ever covered in terms of my favorite, not like I'm so excited. everything about it, but you know, anything about me. I originally went, wanted to go to school to be in music management, and my freshman year of college, I worked with uh, entertainment board on the music side of it in marketing. Forgot about that. I know, right? I totally forgot about that. And I loved it so much. And then I fell into sports in the middle of that, left music behind. Got your life flipped upside down. Literally got my <laughs> life flipped upside down and then started a podcast. I like getting there. So we're, like we're headed in the right direction again. <laughs> we're kind of like on that journey. This for me was so fun. I very much enjoyed it. And we're going to hop into it and talk about Tupac. Let's do it. Long so, awaited. Tupac was born with the name Lassane Parrish Crooks in East Harlem on June 16, 1971 to Afini Shakur and Billy Garland. Afini and Billy had been active members of the New York Black Panthers Party in the late 60s and early 70s. Along with his later stepfather, Matulu Shakur, who was involved in the Black Panthers Black Liberation Army. When Tupac was one, his mother legally changed his name to Tupac Amaru Shakur after the last Incan ruler, Tupac Amaru II, because his mother, Afini, wanted him to have, quote, a name of revolutionary indigenous people in the world and know that he's a part of a world culture and not just from a neighborhood. And this was according to an article written by Chuck Walker in 2014. That's cool. Right. I really like that. Yeah. So in the 80s, he and his mother moved to Baltimore, Maryland, where he attended the Baltimore School for the Arts. He started attending this in the 10th grade because he had gone to finish his 8th grade year at a middle school there and then his 9th grade year at a different high school and then transferred. It was there that he met and became close friends with Jada Pinkett, who was his, quote, poetic muse. Mm, Like Uncut Jams. Uncut Jams. (laughs) Tupac, along with his friend Dana Mouse Smith, a beatboxer, won competitions as the school's best rapper. Get it. Tupac loved all types of music and appreciated diverse genres of music. In 1988, he moved to Marin City, California in the San Francisco Bay Area, where he attended a high school and he performed at several theater productions. 
But by 1989, Tupac began recording with the name MC New York and left school, later earning his GED. All the while, he was attending poetry classes, which is where he met his future manager, Leela Steinberg. She began like setting up concerts for him, and he was performing with his rap group, Strictly Dope. Later signing with Atron Gregory, and he was the manager of the Digital Underground, where Tupac was a roadie and a backup dancer. So he was Atron's muse. (laughs) Yes. As a roadie on Public Enemies tour in 1990, Tupac became very close friends with Anthony Chris, or Treach, who was the lead rapper in the group Naughty by Nature. Did you ever listen to Naughty by Nature? No. That was my parents' favorite, favorite. So in January of 1991, Tupac debuted under the stage name Tupac with the number two with the underground under the Interscope Records on their song, same song, which was the group's EP. And through this, he became very close friends with Randy Stretch Walker, and the two performed often. Tupac's debut album, Tupacalypse Now. Love that. (laughs) You're right. um, Was released in November of that same year, featuring three songs that would later inspire many prominent rappers. Even like Eminem was one of them. This album poetically depicted individual struggles due to socioeconomic disadvantages, selling half a million copies, qualifying it as gold in the music industry. This same year, Tupac made his first film appearance in Nothing But Trouble by the Digital Underground. And in 1992, he starred in Juice, playing the role of Roland Bishop. And his role in the film led to Rolling Stone's Peter Travers naming Tupac, quote, the film's most magnetic figure. Wow. Right. That's impressive. His second album, Strictly For My, was released in February of 1993, featuring Ice Cube, Ice-T, Shock G, and Money B, selling a million copies and being certified platinum. That's insane. I know. Also in 1993, Tupac starred with Janet Jackson in the romance film Poetic Justice. Wow. Later that year, Tupac formed the group Thug Life with Tyrus Big Sky Himes, Dyron Rivers, and Moprame Shakur, which was his stepbrother, and Walter Rated R. Burns. They released only one album, which was released in October of 94, which was also certified gold. So during the time that he was working with Thug Life in 1993, Christopher Wallace, or better known as the Notorious B.I.G. or Biggie, was visiting L.A. and was asking his drug dealer to introduce him to Tupac. And so the two met up and became instant best friends. Later, inviting Biggie on the stage when Tupac and Stretch performed and recording songs together like Running From the Police and uh, House of Pain. Biggie wanted Tupac to manage him, but he advised Biggie that in order to become a star, he would need to work with Puffy or Sean Puff Daddy Combs, the founder of the New York City record label Bad Boys Records. But Tupac did invite him to join his group Thug Life, but Biggie declined and formed his own Brooklyn rap group called Junior Mafia with Lil Cease and Lil Kim. So in October of 1993, Tupac was arrested in Atlanta for shooting two off-duty police officers, brothers Mark and Scott Whitwell. And the brothers had been crossing the crosswalk with their wives in the street and Tupac's driver like almost hit them. And a verbal altercation ensued before guns ended up being drawn by both parties. However, differing accounts say that the altercation actually ensued because the two officers and their wives were harassing and yelling racial slurs at Tupac's car and other cars driven by African-Americans. Like, that's believable. Right. Either way, Mark Whitwell and Tupac fired back and forth with each other in a shootout and the brothers were being both shot in the abdomen and the butt. So Tupac was charged with two counts of aggravated assault and Mark was charged with firing first and lying to investigators, which it's going to all come back around. And Scott admitted to have stolen the gun that was used in the shootout from the Henry County Police Department's evidence room. Ultimately, all charges were dropped. (laughs) A little bit of a shit show. (laughs) Yeah, literally what? So the next month in November, Tupac and two men on his staff were then charged with sodomizing a woman in a New York City hotel room after they forced her to perform non-consensual oral sex on the men, and this case was later taken to court. After the release of Thug Life's album in November of 1994, Tupac was in his home state of New York recording for Ron G's mixtape. During these recordings with the music manager James Rosemond, or better known as Jimmy Henchman, Tupac seemed to be like really 
distracted by his beeper. So henchmen offered him $7,000 in cash if he would stop by the Quad Studios in Times Square that evening to record a few verses with little Sean, who was another client of his. Tupac agreed and was set to record that night, and he arrived at the lobby with Stretch and two others when three men robbed them and beat them at gunpoint. Tupac fought back and was shot five times. It was a setup. He was rushed to the Metropolitan Hospital Center where he underwent surgery. According to Joel Anderson with Slate Magazine, a few hours after surgery, against doctor's advice, Tupac checked out of the hospital and went to actress Jasmine Guy's home. The next day, he appeared in court to receive the jury's verdict for his trial from the woman who was accusing them of sodomy, and he got a guilty verdict. So on December 1st, he was acquitted of three counts of sodomy and illegal possession of firearms, but convicted of two counts of first-degree sexual abuse and sentenced to 18 months to four and a half years in prison with the bond set at $3 million, which is like completely insane. I, I, I don't think I've ever said a bond was set that high before. Yeah. Tupac's lawyer came back and was like, that is literally inhumane. Yeah. Because so, they knew he could pay it. Right. So they that's why he, they did it had, so high. What is it? 300000 Yeah. Is that what it is? No, it's $3 million. I know, but oh. 10%. Yeah, 10%. He was set to start serving his time in February. So Tupac posted a $25,000 bond and spent the next few weeks being cared for by his mother and private doctors at Jasmine Guy's home. And he was being protected by the Fruit of Islam and former members of the Black Panther Party standing guard outside of her home 24 oh. hours a day. Wow. In 1995, Tupac was interviewed by Vibe magazine where he accused Sean Puff Daddy Combs, Jimmy Hinchman, Biggie, and many others on setting up that robbery and shooting at Quad Studios because Hinchman had literally bribed him to be there. And as he was there, Biggie and Combs were also in the building recording. These accusations significantly affected the East Coast versus West Coast hip hop rival. And also in this interview, Tupac named Jada Pinkett, Jasmine Guy, Treach, Mickey Rourke, and others as friends who would be looking out for him and his family while he was serving his prison sentence with the support of, quote, close friend Madonna. And Madonna later came out and was like, yeah, actually, we dated in 94. Oh, extra spicy. Okay, girl. On February 14th, Tupac began serving his prison sentence at the Clinton Correctional Facility, spending the majority of his time reading many books written by Italian philosophers and Chinese military strategists. While in prison, Tupac's lead single, Dear Mama, off of his new album was released, and this certified as platinum and was ranked 51 on 1995's End of the Year charts. On February 21st, Sean Puff Daddy Combs and Biggie released the song Who Shot Ya, which Tupac took as a mockery of his shooting. As would I. Tupac released his third album, Me Against the World, while still in prison in March, debuting at number one on the Billboard 200 list and selling 240,000 copies its first week. And that's so crazy because music back then was not like Apple iTunes. Like you went to the store and you bought it. You had to go buy it. I remember waiting in line to get a CD. I think it was like a Miley Cyrus CD that went out. Crazy. That's crazy. On April 4th, Tupac and his longtime girlfriend, Keisha Morris, were married, but they annulled their marriage uh, 10 months later. During his time in prison, Tupac wrote back and forth with many individuals, including Jim Carrey, Alanis Morissette, Chuck D., Mike Tyson, Trench, Freddie Fox, Madonna, Salt from Salt and Pepper, and visited by civil rights activist Al Sharpton. I mean, wow. It's a lot of famous wow. people. I mean, could you imagine? A lot of icons. Like, yeah, I was just, you know, sitting down with Al and then um, writing back to Jim. And Madonna, too. I had to send her one. Yeah. Insult. (laughs) Insult. Are you kidding me? So in August, CEO and founder of Death Row Records was in New York City. Um, His name is Suge Knight. I don't know why I didn't put that in my notes. (laughs) Was in New York City attending the second annual Source Awards ceremony and visited Tupac during his time in the state. Around this same time, Tupac's mother was about to lose her home, so he had his wife, Keisha, contact Suge Knight in L.A. A day later, his mom received $15,000. Wow. 
On October 12th, Tupac was bonded out of prison when Suge Knight posted his $1.4 million bond. And Tupac then returned to LA and immediately signed with Death Row Records. So let's talk about Death Row a little bit. Death Row Records was founded in 1991 by CEO Marion Suge Knight and President Andre Dr. Dre Young. Dr. Dre. Mm-hmm. Dr. Dre um and they did this with partners tracy the doc curry and dick giffey so in 1989 dr dre of nwa at the time signed with easy e's label ruthless records and he was working there as the head of production producing some of the label's largest and most successful projects that they ever had but he felt overworked and underpaid around the same time there was all the drama going on with nwa when ice cube left the group because of a financial disagreement with their manager Jerry Heller. So after this, Suge Knight with the doc went over the books with this law team. And through this, they discovered that Heller had been lying to them and moving money around where it wasn't supposed to be. So Knight and the doc brought this to Dr. Dre and they all decided that they were going to open their own label and opened Death Row in 91 with the artist Doc, Dr. Dre and Michelle. In 92, CPO, Boss Hog, The Dog Pound, Jewel, Corrupt, The Lady of of Rage, Nate Dog, RBX, and Snoop Dogg were all signed with Death Row. With this, Death Row Records released Dr. Dre's album The Chronic in 1992, selling 5.7 million record um, copies, popularizing G-Funk style of music and establishing the West Coast hip hop industry. I mean, could you That's imagine? Crazy. Could you imagine if we released this episode and it had 5.7 million? No. <laughs> in like the first day, I would literally freak. I would freak. But doing this made them a direct threat to Sean Puff Daddy Combs with Bad Boy Entertainment. So after this, Dr. Dre began crafting Snoop Dogg's debut album, Doggy Style, which took two years. And it went quadruple platinum and outperformed the chronic upon its release. As it should, Snoop. So when Suge Knight was visiting with Tupac in New York, he went to Uptown Records where Puff Daddy had gotten his start. And there he spoke with Jodici, Devante Swing, and Mary J. Blige, which, uh, halftime performance. Hi. Hi. <laughs> it's so funny that we're literally talking about all of them. We just were freaking the fuck out that they were on our TV right? screen. <laughs> that was the best halftime performance um, ever. And after speaking with them, he signed them all over to his management company, making it even worse with the East Coast, West Coast situation. In September of 1995, Suge Knight was inside the Platinum House nightclub in Atlanta when some members of the Bad Boys inner circle came in and a dispute broke out between Puff and Suge inside. So Suge was with his friend Big Jake, um, who was a Death Row Records bodyguard and a Bloods gang member. When the two left the club and were entering Suge's car, Puff's childhood best friend and bodyguard at the time aimed and fired a gun, fatally killing, fatally shooting, not killing, Big Jake. But when Suge Knight signed Tupac after he publicly accused Puff, Biggie, and the others of his attack at Quad Studios, this was a message in retaliation because of this. Oh, shit. Yeah. So at this point in time, every single album that Death Row released made massive digs at East Coast rappers. It's hilarious. I know, right? (laughs) So in 96, All Eyes on Me, Tupac's fourth album, which was released on February 13th, this album produced Billboard Hot 100 singles like California Love, How Do You Want It, I Ain't Mad At Ya, and Two of America's Most Wanted. The album hit the charts at number one on the Billboard's 200 and top R&B hip-hop albums, selling 566,000 copies its first week. Later certified Diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America. In this album, which was rap's first ever double album serving as two of the three albums due to death row in Tupac's contract, Tupac rapped about the gangsta lifestyle, which was vastly different from his previous political messages as a result of the East Coast, West Coast rivalry being at an all-time high, which I mentioned before. On the non-album B-side of How Do You Want It, there was a diss track called Hit Em Up directed towards Biggie and Puff Daddy. So rappers were forced at this point in time to choose their alliances, and they had to pick a side because if you didn't, you were in more danger. And if... Either way, like, it was dangerous 
in in general. So Death Row Records producer and rapper Sam Sneed was beaten almost to death in one of the Death Row affiliates meeting, which was led by Suge Knight and Tupac, because he had, quote, too many East Coast rappers in his uh, Lady Heroin music video. This is getting, like, completely out of hand violent. And so RBX and the doc did not agree with the direction that Suge Knight was leading Death Row in. Therefore, they left. And Dr. Dre soon did the same on March 22nd, 1996. And this caused Tupac to, like, very much hate him. Who? Shug? Uh, no, Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. For leaving. Okay. So on April 5th, Tupac was sentenced to 120 days in jail for violating his release terms. Um, however, it was deferred like a month later. Probably money. Yeah, right. So Tupac began working on his fifth album, Don Caluminati. But he recorded this under the stage name Machiavelli. And this entire recording, producing everything process only took one single week in August of that year impressive that's so impressive i mean it takes us for fuck ever to do one of these it takes us a year to (laughs) write this so on september 7th tupac was in las vegas with suge knight watching the mike tyson versus bruce selden boxing match at the mgm grand garden which lasted a total of one minute and 49 seconds when tyson easily defeated selden in a first round knockout Dude, the other day I was talking with my dad about his dad, who is my pop pop, and you're never going to believe what I found out. What? I found out that my pop pop was a freaking Freemason. Shut up. Not only just him, but the all the men in his side of the family. That is amazing. Right? So I thought, you know, I knew my pop pop better than anyone. Like I was his little girl. And when I was chatting with my dad, I was like, how many stories have I never heard and missed out on? So I decided that I was going to get my dad, StoryWorth, a sponsor of Creeps and Crimes. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your dad or father figure connect through sharing stories and memories and preserves them for years to come. Every week, StoryWorth emails your dad or father figure a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions that you've never thought of, like what was one of your fondest childhood memories, or was there a story or fairy tale that scared you as a child, which you know was our favorite. I've really enjoyed reading my dad's answers to those questions. I've discovered stories and memories I never heard about and learned new things about stories that I thought I really knew. Like I found out my dad's first car was a 67 Maroon Mustang and you know he was whipping that. Woo, yeah he was. Go Bucky. After one year, StoryWorth compiles all of those questions and stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that the whole family will enjoy for generations to come, which is the reason why I got my dad's StoryWorth. Give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash creepsandcrimes. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash creepsandcrimes to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash creepsandcrimes. So as they were leaving the match, Trayvon Trey Lane, one of Knight's associates and a fellow member of the Mob Piru Bloods out of Compton, spotted Orlando Baby Lane Anderson of the Southside Crips in the MGM Grand Lobby. Months earlier in May, Orlando Anderson and a group of Southside Crips had robbed Trayvon Lane in a Foot Locker store, and they stole his death row gold pendant and chain. Tupac went up to Anderson and asked if he was from the South before punching him in the face, knocking him to the ground. Knight and six others then joined in on beating up Anderson before security broke up the fight. However, it was fully captured on the video surveillance cameras. After this, Tupac went back to his hotel room at the Luxor and told his girlfriend at the time, Kidada Jones, about the brawl while changing clothes. So after getting dressed and ready, Tupac left with Suge Knight in his black BMW sedan and the two began driving to Knight's Club 662. So at 11 p.m., they were pulled over by the Las Vegas MPD on bike control, bike patrol, which I'm like bike patrol pulled over the BMW. <laughs> yeah. But like, is it is it like motorcycles or is it like straight up bikes? I have no idea. That's, 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 that's what I really want to know, because <laughs> if it was bikes, it just makes us even better. Um, and so they were pulled over by this bike patrol on Las Vegas Boulevard and they were pulled over because their music was too loud. 
And uh, he didn't have any license plates on the cars. But they were like, okay, we'll turn the music down and the license plates are in the back, but we have to do this for our safety. And they're like, well, as long as you have the license plates, that's fine. And let them go. So the BMW continued down East Flamingo Road and stopped at the red light at the intersection of Koval Lane. In the vehicle behind them were their bodyguards and like behind the bodyguards were like all these other people that were going with them to the club. And when they were at this light, these this car with two women inside pulled up on their left and Tupac was like, they were like talking with them, flirting with them and Tupac invited them to join them at the 662 Club. Well, moments later, at approximately 11.15 p.m., a white four-door Cadillac pulled up on the right side of Knight's BMW, rolling down its back driver's side window and firing 13 rounds at 25-year-old Tupac with a 40 S&W Glock 22. Realizing what was happening, Tupac tried his best to, like, jump in the back seat of the car, but in the process of all of this, he was hit twice in the chest, entering his right lung, once on the arm and once in the thigh. Suge Knight was hit in the head by bullet fragments, but not seriously injured at all, and the BMW had a flat tire. Knight sped off, driving a mile away to Las Vegas Boulevard and Harmon Avenue, where they were stopped again by the bike patrol, and they then called the paramedics um, to the scene. So on the scene with the bike patrol um, was Chris Carroll. And he said that Knight like jumped out of the car and was screaming, running around, begging for help. And Carol got Tupac out of the car and he was bleeding profusely, frantically fighting to move and breathe. That's so sad. I mean, he's 25 years old, you know. Carol asked uh, Tupac who shot him and he said in that moment, Tupac's demeanor just completely changed from panic to complete peace. And he gave no answer. Carol was thinking like, oh my God, well, he's about to make, you know, take his last breath if he's this at peace. So he made one final attempt to try to figure out who it was that had done this, asking Tupac once again, who shot you? And Tupac responded with his final words, fuck you. Damn. Right. And then he fell unconscious. Both Tupac and Knight were rushed to the University Medical Center as Tupac was being carried into the emergency room. He said his actual final words, but fuck you just sounds a lot better. And they were, I'm dying. Once in critical care, Tupac was heavily sedated on life support and eventually put into a medically induced coma because he was continually like coming to and he would just like fight and try to get out of the bed and it was hurting him more. So death row music video director and member of the Outlaws guarded his room 24 hours a day, worrying that someone would come and try to finish him off. Knight was released from the hospital on the following day, but refused to speak until September 11th when he told officers that he heard shots, but he saw nothing. Kidada Jones claimed that Tupac was coherent on a few different occasions. Once when she played Vincent by Don McLean, he started moaning and moving his eyes around. And another time when she told him that she loved him. On Friday, September 13th, Tupac Shakur was convulsing and experiencing severe respiratory failure leading to cardiac arrest after his right lung was removed. Doctors fought to revive him. However, they just could not stop the hemorrhaging. His mother, Afini, made the final decision for all medical treatments to cease, and he was pronounced dead at 4.03 p.m. But that still leaves the question, who killed Tupac? So here are the main theories. Number one, and probably the most famous, is Biggie Smalls killed Tupac. It was alleged that Biggie paid Crips members and provided them with a gun to successfully kill Tupac. Biggie denied any involvement in Tupac's murder, but it didn't matter because Tupac's people and Death Row were convinced. On March 8, 1997, Biggie went to the Soul Train Awards after party at the Peterson Automotive Museum in L.A., The party was shut down around 12.30 a.m. in the early hours of the 9th because of overcrowding by the fire department. The fire department had to come in and was like, this is over. You guys are overdoing it. Even though this was literally being hosted by like Vibe magazine and like very big things. So Biggie left with his team in two GMC Suburbans and they were going to return to their hotel. So Biggie was in the front passenger seat and also in the car was D-Rock Butler, Lil Cease, and driving was G-Money Young. While Puff Daddy Combs rode in another the other GMC with the two bodyguards. Also following behind these GMCs was the bad boy director of security, Paul Oford, or Offord, in a Chevy Blazer. 
At 12.45 a.m., the partygoers were filling the streets as they were exiting the museum, and at the time, Biggie's car was stopped at a red light 50 yards away from the museum when a black Chevy Impala pulled beside the GMC. The driver was wearing a blue suit and a bow tie when he rolled down his window and fired a 9mm blue steel pistol at Biggie's car. Four bullets hit Biggie, and G-Money sped off. He was rushed to a hospital where an emergency thoracotomy was performed on Biggie, but unfortunately, it was too late and he was pronounced dead at 1 15 a.m his autopsy that wasn't released until 15 years later revealed that only the final shot was fatal entering through his right hip going through his colon liver heart left lung and then uh, stopping in his shoulder left shoulder biggie was 24 at the time of his death too young these are these These are are kids kids. i mean we're kids these are people that are, are our age Theory number two is that Yaki Gaddafi had something to do with this. So Yaki was born in New York and his mother and Tupac's mother were very close as they were both members of the Black Panther Party. Yaki and Tupac became close friends later in life and began working together. He had been in the car following Knight's BMW with the bodyguards and witnessed the entire thing but would not cooperate with police or either police didn't follow up. So there's differing accounts on this. Two months later, on November 10th, Yaki was found fatally shot in the hallway of an apartment building where he had been hanging out with his friends after police were um, were called to the scene because there was, like, gunfire in the hallway. Turns out that Roddy Beal, who was the friend's apartment that he was at, um, and cousin of Napoleon Beal, who was a member of Tupac's rap group, The Outlaws, had accidentally fatally shot Yaki while on an LSD trip, turning himself into police and serving seven to eight years in prison. But Yaki's mother claimed that this was no accident because the Beals had been threatening her son after the death of Tupac. But why? All we know is that he for sure didn't do it because he was with the bodyguards, but he just refused to talk. So then who was he covering for? Which leads us to theory number three, Suge Knight. So many death row artists, including Snoop Dogg, have accused Knight of being involved in Tupac's death because he felt that Tupac was going to leave after Dre. Bodyguard Frank Alexander, who was in the car with Yaki, was supposed to be in Knight's car that night but was asked to follow behind driving another vehicle because Knight wanted extra cars for after the club. He claimed that one of the other cars was told to chase this Cadillac, and they did. But when they returned, they, like, never spoke of it and, like, never said anything more. Interesting. They were silenced. Police were looking for an excuse to arrest Suge Knight to aid in the investigation of the Rampart scandal where the LAPD officers were hired by others like famous people and they were literally drug dealers robbing banks and covering up crimes for Hollywood's elites. And this is a whole entire like case that I could cover on its own. So Knight had hired many of these officers to stash millions of dollars of worth of cocaine in death row's offices and he he was paying these officers like millions of dollars in cash to do this so they were making great money one of these police officers was rafael perez who was thought to be biggie's killer hired by suge knight along with mortgage broker amir muhammad though it has never been confirmed but he still remains one of the main suspects in biggie's death so using the security footage of suge knight beating up orlando anderson he was arrested and the chart but the charges ended up being dropped which i'm going to discuss here in a little bit Some believe that Suge Knight orchestrated Tupac's death because of how the car was positioned at the time, how the shots were fired, protecting him. I mean, like, what are the chances you don't get hit when 13 bullets are fired into the car that you're sitting in and you can't move? But also, why would you put yourself that close to the situation? Right. But maybe it's so they wouldn't think it was him. Right. Mm -hmm. He and his team would not cooperate with authorities, according to authorities. So I don't know how, you know, true that is. And they think that they might he might have done this to justify a hit on Biggie and Puff Daddy, and so that Tupac would never be presented with the opportunity to leave Death Row since his last album was already recorded, and that would have been the end of his contract, leaving all of the money to Suge Knight at Death Row. Either way, Suge Knight is now in prison until 2034 because of a fatal hit and run in 2015, and he is currently 57 years old. But others think that it's just a lot more simple, which leads us to our fourth and final theory, Orlando Baby Lane Anderson, the number one suspect in the eyes of police. He would have a current and real motive because he had literally just gotten his ass beat by Tupac 
hours before. And he actually bragged to many people about being Tupac's killer. However, later he denied any involvement and even called himself a fan of Pox. Up until this point, Anderson had no arrest records, was not really into the drug scene, violence, or any other, like, like literally, he didn't even drink alcohol that often, his friends and family said. So it just kind of seemed like out of character and something that you couldn't pin on someone that, you know, doesn't have a history of this. But he later ended up agreeing to testify against Suge Knight for his involvement with the beating at the MGM Grand Lobby and sued Knight for damages. However, when he took the stand in court after literally telling police, like, yeah, I'm going to testify against him. (laughs) He got up there and I've shit you guys not says, oh, no, 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 no. Knight was trying to make the fight not be a thing. What? Yeah, like literally completely changed his story. There was some hush money in that. Right. Everyone, including police, knew that Knight had absolutely paid Orlando Anderson off and the two agreed to, quote, settle out of court for $78,000. But days later, before getting his money, he was fatally shot and killed. The theory is that he was trying to get money from someone that he had loaned money to and it just like turned super sour. So after years of denying any involvement with Tupac, literally quoted saying, um, it's with God now, I can't spend the rest of my life worrying about Pac. On July 2nd, nope, <laughs> 2018, Dwayne Keefe Davis, a Southside Compton Crip and millionaire drug dealer and the uncle of Orlando Anderson, announced that he was dying of cancer and then confessed to playing a role in Tupac's death. That night, he was in the passenger seat of the white Cadillac with Orlando Anderson in the back driver's seat, Terrence T. Brown Brown driving, and DeAndre Dre Smith in the back passenger seat, both whom are now dead, so cannot confirm nor deny this, when they pulled up beside the BMW and fired the 13 rounds. But their reason for killing Tupac, number one, he was embarrassed that he got his ass kicked in the MGM Grand Lobby. Number two... Puff Daddy Combs placed a $1 million bounty for Tupac's death. Nuh-uh. But is Tupac really dead, Morgan? I don't know. Let's talk about it. (laughs) When Tupac died, nothing was really cut short. As a matter of fact, his fame seemed to grow more in the afterlife. At least five additional albums were released, organizations were funded, and documentaries were filmed. Tributes were given in honor, and seven of his 11 albums went platinum. Wow. Seven. But as more and more attention was brought to the rapper, more and more people had questions that led to speculations. The idea that Tupac Shakur is still alive has been around since the announcement of his death. The time between Tupac being shot versus when he died is the backbone of the entire theory. A couple things that initiated the original questions are from what is known to be the last photo ever taken of Tupac alive. Moments before the shooting, a fan had captured a picture of Tupac and Suge Knight in the car together. And the picture has a couple things off with it. The first being that there were no keys in the ignition. So when this fan took this picture, Suge and Tupac were at a red light. Yeah. But there was no keys in the ignition. Clear as day in the picture. And this is supposedly just moments before the shooting took place. And the second is the date on the photograph. Tupac was shot and admitted to the hospital on September 7th, yet the photo of the two in the car was dated September 8th, 1996. While we know that that all depends on if the camera was set up properly and Mm -hmm. to the most accurate date and time, but what's up with the keys? Why would the car be shut off? That's so fucking weird. Right? When the coroner report came out, there was also a couple of inconsistencies. For example, the report listed him weighing 215 pounds at death. This is 50 pounds heavier than what Tupac actually weighed. He was 5'9 and in relatively good shape, weighing 165 typically and according to his driver's license. Right. Well, shit, mine's a lie too, so. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Does our driver's license have our weight on it? Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's gotta go. Yeah, I was like, no way. Um, And his autopsy that was never released, and that is not available to anyone. Tupac was said to be cremated, and there are, again, tons of inconsistencies with his crematory process. For example... His social security number was not registered in the official death index. What? Also, no one has been able to find the man who cremated Tupac. What? 
In an interview with TMZ, Suge Knight claims that he paid a man $3 million in cash to cremate Tupac. He explains, quote, the person who supposedly cremated Tupac, this guy got about $3 million, personally, from me, cash. And next thing I know, I never heard from the guy or seen him again. He retired and left. Also, during this interview, when asked why cops never found Tupac's killer, Suge replies, maybe the question is, Pac's not really dead. Pac's somewhere else. Oh my God. Then adds, nobody has ever seen Tupac dead. As in nobody ever saw his dead body. Oh my God. There's numerous theories that circulate around the death of Tupac. So let's run through them. Number one, this was planned and he fled to Cuba. One of the biggest theories is that Tupac didn't die from the gunshot wounds, but instead escaped to Cuba and has been in hiding ever since, continuing to make money and just soaking in the fortune that came from his death. I mean, yeah. In early 2000s, a blog called Hollaback Exclusive shared a video of a, tu- of a Tupac lookalike hanging out in the parking lot in Cuba. A quick Google search and you'll find it. But Taylor, do you want to see it now? Yes, I want to see it right now. Okay, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. Oh my fucking god! It's the teeth. It's it's everything. It's like the shape of his head. Every the the teeth, the nose, everything. It looks a lot like him. But basically, it's this guy. um, He's this reporter or whatever, and he's in Cuba for some reason. (laughs) And um, he's like videoing around the corner, and it's just this group of guys, like three or four of them, that um, are just standing around talking. And he zooms in. And all he says is, Tupac is fucking living, yo. Um, in 2004, another video of Tupac was posted to YouTube showing Tupac with Suge Knight joking and laughing in Cuba. Oh, my God. Um, the Cuba theory was re-sparked in 2018 when a former bodyguard of Tupac named Michael Nice claimed that Tupac is still alive and that he helped him flee to Cuba. Michael came forward stating that Tupac was smuggled into, comp- into, computer, into, the into computer Cuba with the help of former president Fidel Castro. He said that he was working for the activist group called the Black Panthers when he was seeked out and almost drafted with the job of helping Tupac flee America. He admitted to falsifying passports for Tupac, and in a 20-minute YouTube video, he admits Tupac is still alive and that he had real evidence showing an escape jet with Tupac on it disguised as a co-pilot off to Cuba. (sighs) But days before Michael was planning on coming forward with proof of Tupac alive, he had reportedly died on December 18th, 2018. Mm. Asini Studios, who Michael worked for at the time, posted a clip saying that he had been found dead on December 18th. They claimed that they had spoken to his brother, Johnny, who told them his death is very suspicious. Johnny says, unfortunately, a great man passed away. He was found slumped at his wheel and was pronounced dead at the scene. Reports came back saying natural causes, but earlier that night, he told me he was going to a meeting and he wasn't too happy about it. I suspect he was having a meeting with MI5 agents. Oh, my. And Michael Nice was poisoned. Oh, my God. This caused media frenzy. Everybody that was obsessed with Tupac's case thought that this was a hit, that they killed this guy. He was coming forward and they put a hit out on him, that he knew too much and somebody wanted him dead. In December of 2019, a YouTube video was posted and again, it went viral. On the screen showed a man who looked an awful lot like Tupac's former and now deceased bodyguard. It starts by saying, My name is Michael Nice. I faked my death on the 18th of December, 2018. And I'm here today, back from the dead, to show why and how I faked my death. I'm going to put the record straight. He continues, I know it's a shock to all the people who know me, but I'm back. I'm back to explain everything. I confess I faked my death and I feel quite ashamed about it, but it had to be done. And I'm here now to explain the reasons why. During his 10 minute video, he talks about the threats he had been receiving and that if he hadn't faked his death when he did, he would have been dead for real. Okay. So how did he do it? Yeah. Is he still alive? Yeah. Okay. He taught himself how to stop his pulse and made arrangements with an ambulance to answer the call to his scene. The said ambulance then picked him up and Michael was taken to the hospital, where he would be picked up and taken to the morgue. Prior to faking his death, he made even more arrangements with a couple contacts in the funeral home business, so that when he was picked up at the hospital, he was switched for an actual dead body, which was then taken to the morgue while he walked away. He then laid low for a year. 
He knows that no one will believe him, but he ends with, I've done it again, this time with myself. It proves that I've got those capabilities. Oh, I so mean, I believe he, you. He's saying he like helped him fake his death. Yeah. And this guy did. He did it. He straight up did it. Oh, my. For a year. <laughs> In 2018. Yeah. Which is so crazy because, well, there was a giant article written about it that came out about Tupac around this time. And uh, a ton of like documentaries and stuff came out around that time. But how weird is that? Like what 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 happened? Right. Exactly. Um, Michael has been like just like scooted off as like this crazy conspiracy theorist that just has been wanting to capitalize on Tupac's death for the last three years. Mm-hmm. But shit, like to me, that's a lot to go through just to like get your you name fake, out there, you know? You faked your own fucking death. And the Cuba connection runs through the family as well because Tupac's aunt is a political activist and former Black Liberation Army member who was granted political asylum in Cuba in mm. 1984 after fleeing prison in the United States. Mm. So some speculate that Tupac went out there, fled his life of fame to live with his aunt. And if that's the case, I feel like that's really, like, wholesome. Yeah, it is. Like, he just, like, didn't want it anymore. Well, yeah, but it's like he didn't want it anymore, and he had made enough money, and he knew he was going to continue making mm-hmm. money. Yeah. So, like, why not? You know, know, just go live your life. Don't be in the spotlight. Um, number two, the second theory, is the Machiavelli-Casanova theory. Tupac was a huge fan of a man named Niccolo Machiavelli, who was a Renaissance philosopher and politician whose biggest agenda was advocating for the faking of one's death to gain an advantage over their enemies. This theory involves a lot of albums and lyrics, and it's very detailed, so throw that shit on cruise control. Throw that shit on cruise control. Um, Tupac's final album, The Don Kilimanati, The Seven Day Theory, was released in 1996 but not under Tupac's name and said it was under his new stage name, Machiavelli, like we said earlier. But it was spelled differently than the philosopher. This one was spelled M-A-K-A-V-E-L-I, a reference and a tribute to his idol. Fans riddled me this, of course, as, as well as conspiracy theorists, and noticed that if you were to rearrange the new stage name, there's a little message. And it says, am alive, K. <sighs> The K, although, is not short for okay. Like, it's not him saying, like, I'm alive, okay? But instead, they believe it's another hint, possibly towards his current whereabouts. K is believed to be short for Casanova the Dawn. Casanova the Dawn is a rapper who started to debut around 2007 and 2008, who many people believe is, in fact, Tupac. Oh, shit. Their vocals are almost indisputable. But even more odd, Casanova the Dawn has collabed with Hussein Fatal and Young, who were both members of Tupac's crew, The Outlaws. In 2012, Casanova the Dawn released a song called Mystery, 16 years after the death of Tupac. Here are the lyrics. I'm going to read them, and I'm going to be skipping words. It says, It's been 16 years, still stuck in a dark cage, living in my mind of that fateful day. 9796, I remember like it was yesterday. I got a lot to say. Thug love, thug cry, how the media said that I died, but I'm still breathing. Who do you believe in? Everything that was said was lie. See, listen. We were in Vegas getting faded in the city of sin. I had a bad feeling that night after the fight at MGM. Can you feel me? We left the telly on the way to the club. These hoes pulled up right beside us. My adversary steady on plotting my death, squeezing bullets to the name on the chest. I heard gunshot, but it got weird. Instead of bullets, only smoke appeared. Next thing I knew, some man in a suit just standing there. They opened the door, grabbed me by my feet, let my head hit the concrete. It was a nightmare. Dragged on the street, scars on my back, looking at the white Cadillac before the black back. Over my head, I couldn't believe what I happened to see. A man who looked just like me, dressed like me, in the passenger seat, but it can't be me. Sitting here next to Suge, another four shots and it can't be good. I gotta find a way, that is what I say. Next thing I know, a blow to the head. Basically what he said is that the original shots were like smoke smoke bombs. And he was pulled out and put in his seat was a lookalike. Oh my god. So I kind of want you to hear their voices. Okay, I need to hear their voices. Let, let us press pause and we'll come right back. <laughs> oh, my guys, go just go listen. If you know what Tupac sounds like, which everybody should, or you're going to jail, 
um, you have to go listen to this. It's very similar. It's very similar. But like what I what I just read to you guys, those lyrics, that is the entirety of the song. Like that's all wow. the song is. It's a poem. So is Casanova the Dawn really Tupac? That's interesting. That's a very interesting theory. Yeah. Um, the third one I have is Malaysia. According to Suge Knight's son, Tupac is alive and well and living in Malaysia. In September of 2019, Suge J. Knight made a heavy claim on Instagram with the caption, Tupac is alive. He never left us. While sharing a carousel of images that resembled an older Tupac hugging a present-day Beyonce and a present-day 50 Cent. (laughs) Also including messages from a disclosed number that said, You said too much. It's time for you to go. With Suge Jr. replying that the truth will be out and I'm not going anywhere. He was commenting back to fans on his Instagram post that said, They'll be after me soon, shake my head, and no, I'm not on drugs. He then posted a video saying, quote, Beware of fake accounts. Their job is to distract you. The Illuminati are all about power. This is why you see powerful names getting locked up. Then throughout multiple other posts um, that have all since been deleted, he claims that he is living in Malaysia and is working on new music. And he actually was like, I need a, I need a producer for Tupac's new album that's about to drop. <laughs> Um, but since then, Suge Jr. Knight has since taken back his claim, stating that what he said was not true. Okay. Um, and the fourth one I have is something called the seven day theory. And this is like your typical conspiracy theories pulling in numbers. Like you guys know how they get. Well, that, that was the title of his last album. Right. Uh, exactly. Don Caluminati, the seven day, the theory. seven day theory. Yeah. So it's like the ultimate, like chaotic theory. So I'm going to actually read it from this website. Um, and it's called Tupac-ThugLife.Tripod.com slash ID14.HTML. Um, just because it was kind of, I, I don't know how else I would summarize this. <laughs> right. How, how are we going to summarize um, this and entire I'm, theory? I'm probably not going to read the entire thing. But okay. um, it says, the title of the new album by Machiavelli, a.k.a. Tupac, is The Seven Day Theory. He was shot on September 7th. And he survived on the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, and died the 13th. Hence the title, The Seven Day Theory. Tupac's album, All Eyes on Me, was released on February 13, 1996, and Tupac died on September 13, 1996. It is quite a coincidence that the dates are exactly seven months apart. Tupac officially died at 4.03 p.m., and this is where they get a little chaotic. Four plus three equals seven. Also, he died at an age of 25 years. Two plus five equals seven. It seems as if seven is Tupac's number. There is nothing in the new album that says Tupac, rest in peace, 1971 to 1996. But wouldn't it make sense to include something like that in the first album after his death? The only thing mentioned is Exit Tupac, Enter Machiavelli. The executive producer of The Seven Day Theory, as listed in the CD booklet of the album, is Simon, who is previously an unknown producer in the rap music industry. In the Bible, Simon was an apostle of Jesus. Simon was one of the first witnesses of the resurrection listed by St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15.5. The outlaws have confirmed Simon is a reference to Suge Knight, who was with Tupac the night of the shooting. In Richie Rich's album, Seasoned Veteran, which was released on the same day as the Seven Day Theory, on the song, Done Change, which is a duet with Tupac, Tupac says the following lyrics. I've been shot and murdered. Can't tell you how it happened word for word, but best believe that they're going to get what they deserve. This phrase implies that Tupac knows he will be dead when Richie Rich's album is released. In Machiavelli's song, aka Tupac, um, White Man's World on album, The Seven Day Theory, he says, We ain't never going to walk off this planet unless y'all choose to. Did he choose to walk off the planet by faking his death? In Tupac's song, Ambitions as a Rider, on the album All Eyes on Me, he says, Blast me, but they didn't finish. Didn't diminish my power, so now I'm back to be a motherfucking menace. They cowards, that's why they tried to set me up. Had on my team, so indeed they wet me up. But I'm back, reincarnated. According to this theory, this implies that Tupac is reincarnated as Machiavelli. So the rest of this theory is literally like they're pulling like lines of lines of lines of lyrics and just like dissecting them. Okay. So I'm not going to go through and read all of them, but they start talking about some of the movies that he's in. Okay. So I'm just going to read this last little bit of the section. It says that in the movie Gridlocked, when Tupac and Roth are in the diner and they glance up at the menu, all of the L's are upside down sevens. In the movie Gang Related, Tupac and Belushi wait in room seven and Tupac's badge number is 115, one plus one plus five equals seven. 
Um, the cross on Tupac's back says Exodus 16:31. The verse itself seems to have little meaning, but read this verse found right above it. So the people rested on the seventh day. That's what it says. Oh, shit. All of Exodus 16 deals with the seven days. The song in which Tupac says he's alive, hold your head on the Machiavelli CD before Tupac begins rapping, a voice says, can you see him? When another voice replies, I see him. And then Tupac softly says, I'm alive. Why have Suge Knight and the rest of his entourage been so uncooperative with police in solving the murder? Since his death, there have been numerous reports of Tupac sightings. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, that is freaking crazy. That is freaking crazy. I wish, like, like, I don't want to read this all just because, like, it's some of it's like really well we'll link it for you guys if you want to go down a crazy hole yeah some of it is like really 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 ridiculous but <laughs> a, a lot of it is like well that is weird like having a number like that constantly repeating it's very odd and and the the bible verse with that specific chapter yeah so my final theory today is that the fbi was totally involved or some type of secrets Oh, my favorite. Um, many fans believe that Tupac was killed by the FBI in an attempt to end violent rap culture, which was really hot at the time. It was right. going I mean, crazy. the vice president under George Bush, the first one, H. Bush, like literally was pissed off at Tupac when his album came out that after he got out of prison. Yeah. All Eyes on Me, I think is what it was. Um, they also believe that the FBI killed the notorious B.I.G. for the same reason. Mm. But there is, of course, no proof for this. Yeah. So. Damn. There's so like. There's also, there's so a picture much. of like Rihanna partying with him in Cuba. I forgot to mention that one. Yeah. But I just don't see how like there are so many witnesses. Like you said, there's so many people in the cars behind him. Like there were people around him. Right. Like at this. They were at a red light. Yeah, but like maybe the switch happened. Well, I I know that the switch would have happened from the hospital too. Yeah, like from the gunshot to his death. Like yeah. I don't think I think that he probably got shot up. But well, they drove a mile down the road before they were pulled over. Yeah. So there's really like a piece that is missing if we were going to say that he was switched, mm-hmm. but he also could have been hit. With really non-life-threatening in the beginning. Yeah. I also read this on one source. I don't know if you came across it, but I didn't mention it. But I guess he was very prone on wearing a bulletproof vest. Yes. and He always wore it, but that night he didn't. So when they were packing... So this is very interesting. So Kidada, his girlfriend, and him were packing uh, to go on this trip, right? Mm -hmm. And about a, a few weeks before... Tupac always said like he never wanted to have children because he didn't feel comfortable bringing them into such a corrupt world. And a few like weeks before this, um, he told Kirada that he would want to have kids with her. And this was like the biggest thing in the world for her to hear. So of course she remembered this. Well, when they were packing to come, I guess he like was joking with her because there was something that had gone down like a few days before they left. And she, he was like, I'll take a bullet for you. And so when they were packing, she joked and said, are you not going to take your bulletproof vest? And he said, no, it's going to be too hot. So. At, a, at a place where everyone's, every male's testosterone is through the roof at a fight. Well, like, and you're kind, you're out of your, like, you're out of your safe zone. Yeah, your territory. You're bringing, you know, you're going over. Yeah, you have your entourage with you, but... Are you that safe in a place where yeah. many big people were coming to watch this fight? I mean, yeah. this is Mike Tyson. And I also I also read that his girlfriend was supposed to be in the car with them and he told her no. Mm-hmm. And before she was supposed to come to the fight, too. And he wouldn't let her come in. And he said, something's up. Like, you need to stay in the car and forced her to stay in the car during the fight. But yeah, it was a, a minute and 45, 49 second fight. But like, he didn't know that. So yeah. she's sitting outside the MGM just waiting. Yeah really weird really bizarre i don't know and i know that there's one documentary out there about this about him it's like titled something like he's still alive or whatever and yeah when there's they, tons of documents when they asked the family about it because i'm pretty sure his mother might have been in on some interviews or something along the lines they were like totally like cool with it they're like yeah like that's fine like it was just like it all just so doesn't whack. there's just add up. like if, like if you were thinking of it without a conspiracy side Mm-hmm. What? Who would you think had done it? We got 
Anderson, who he beat the shit out of just a few hours I before. I think that, okay, if Suge did it, he did it with some type of law enforcement because there's mm-hmm. no way somebody would have the accurate, like he would trust somebody with the accuracy to not kill him when he's right there. So like maybe he was working, I mean, he did. He, he was working with law cops. enforcement. So. But, that- I, but when you brought up the FBI theory, then I'm like, well, they were looking for any excuse to arrest Suge Knight. Mm-hmm. so maybe that was a play in that but just the whole situation with the cars like the bodyguard was supposed to be in the car the kidada was supposed to be in the car like all these people were pushed out of this bmw right specifically tupac's bodyguard yeah but like i just find it so weird that even pe- big names in death row that were sold to the the lifestyle really did turn on Shug after this yeah because like what do you know right and like I and part of me wonders, do they not talk to the police because they're protecting someone or do they just genuinely not? They didn't mm-hmm. want to talk to the police because they're like, fuck the police. No, literally that that is something I had written in my notes. And I don't know if I just didn't read it or if I d- didn't save all my notes. But on the flip side of everything, like, why would they trust the police? I mean, literally right. Tupac, as he's dying is asked to tell but then at the same time they couldn't trust police but b they probably want to handle it on their own right they've got everything that they need and it's going to be done way faster than police in a way more just way in their eyes an eye for an eye so i also would consider the conspiracy or maybe whatever it is that uh, puff daddy combs really did put out a million dollar bounty on and that's why biggie Biggie got tied into it, but I don't think Biggie would have done it. I don't know. I hate that I Biggie mean, had to die because of this. They know who did it. Oh like, it's God, not. Fuck it's, yeah, they know. It's not a secret. I don't know why it's not released, but. I don't know either. Like, why is it? Like, it has to involve law enforcement. How, for how it not wouldn't to be you know? Released. Everybody's sitting there. Wa- you're, you're at a red light. Now, granted, if I hear shots being fired at a red light, I'm running. The, the last way. thing I'm doing is looking. To see where it's coming from. I'm just right. running the fucking other way. And what happened to the car that chased them? Yeah. Isn't that so weird? Yeah. Like they literally were like, yeah, you go. This person like zooms off following them. And then also this bike control seems like they're like Pretty fucking, fucking crazy. <laughs> and I don't know if they're on tricycles or what it is. But yeah. why wouldn't that Cadillac get pulled over? Right. If, if, if they literally pulled over Knight's car on two separate occasions, one for having loud music and then realizing after the fact that there wasn't a license plate on the car. Right. And then second, because he was speeding off because Tupac had just gotten shot in the car. They pulled him over on two separate occasions. It doesn't make any it sense. It makes no sense. Nothing about this makes sense. I think we need to run a poll um, today and yeah. say, do you think Tupac is alive? As our hint. For this episode, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. The poll results. That's what we're actually, gonna do when you're listening to this. So, okay, great. Um, can't wait to see your guys's results. Um, and we will see you guys next week. Sending lots of love, lots and lots of love. Sending lots of love, California mm-hmm. love. Bye, babes. Bye, bye.